This is Leafs Breakfast. Riley circles to the center ice area. Pass up on the wing. Finds Nylander. Nylander into the far corner. Center in front. Matthews scores! 34 snaps it home! And the Leafs power play goal has them out in front. 4-3! to three. Welcome back, everyone. This is First Up. I'm Matthew Cause in for Aaron Karolnik. That is Carlo Koliakovo. The Leafs bounce back after a tough Saturday loss to the Canucks with a 4-3 win over the New Jersey Devils. Joining us now, TSN hockey analyst, columnist with the Toronto Star, all-around good guy. It is Dave Poole. And good morning, Dave. Thanks for joining the show today. Good morning, gentlemen. You can include coffee drinker and enjoyer of the sunshine this morning because those are two more qualifications on my resume today. It's a beautiful sunny morning out there. Absolutely gorgeous. Abs- might, absolutely. might be a little crisp, Maddie, but it's beautiful. Yeah. No, you're right. Sorry to interrupt. I'm stuck because Carlos is down in the basement. I don't know if he has a window. He looks like he's in a he hostage video. No, yet. <laughs> it is a gorgeous. It's a gorgeous sunny day. I can confirm that. Um, Dave, I want to throw a weird analogy at you, and you can agree or you can call me a fool. Are you ready? Weird has never been associated with the word Matt Cause, so with the never. name Matt Cause. So, never. okay, or we fool. can go ahead. Or fool. We can go or ahead. Fool. Well, maybe. Um, being a Leafs fan is like when you're in your early 20s and you're dating that one kind of crazy partner. You don't know what you're going to get emotionally, but they're really attractive. Physically, everything is gangbusters, but you wake up every morning and you're not sure what kind of mood they're going to be in, and you're often walking on eggshells. And that's the Maple Leafs, where I predicted they would win, even though they were down a couple players, and you know Morgan Riley and Bunting and Matthews have been struggling a little bit. So, of course, they beat a red-hot Devils team. So rooting for the Maple Leafs, you're, in a, you're always going to be, it's like dating in a very emotional roller coaster relationship. Well, I think that fits most teams in the National Hockey League right now, Matt. I really do. You know, I'm out and about and have been in a number of buildings in the last couple of weeks. And if you talk to various fan bases around, um, talk to the Ottawa Senators fan base this morning and you'll get the same answer for a much younger team. But it, it is emotional. And I think as the year builds up, it gets that way because you want you want to predict what's going to happen in the future in sport. And you simply can't. And, you know, so the way we set up our panel hits, Matt, through, you know, through the, the period as it goes, you start ideas right at the start of the period. And so, you know, let's break down last night's game. You take the first period, you're, you're start up and about the 10 minute mark, literally the question is anybody got anything here? <laughs> and Carlo, you've had this conversation many oh, times, yeah. right? And so, you know, the legendary Puffy, our, our AP, is like, oh, well, well, we got this, 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 and this. We're like, oh, okay, we got more than we thought. And you build it up. But last night, through the second period, we had a, we had a hit going into the second intermission. And with three minutes to go, Jersey scores. So now your whole hit changes. And it, it, but the real change was at the end of the game because you're building up. And the first end-of-game story was, wow, brilliant shorthanded goal by Marner changes the narrative of giving up two shorthanded goals against Vancouver, you know, the star coming to the forefront and Marner changing the whole narrative. Oh, wait a second. Jersey scores a couple goals. Okay. Another new narrative. And then of course, Michael Bunting, who had been a story the entire night and has been for the last little while, he enters the picture and then the power play to end the game. So I think the emotional swings you're talking about, 
are part of the preparation, not only of the team, but of the fan base for what's ahead. And not only in the last five weeks of the season, but this is what happens in the playoffs. These are when teams talk about playing meaningful games, the reason they're meaningful is because you learn how to handle the emotional swings involved. And last night was a capsule of what we're going to experience down the stretch. Who's hurt? Who's not here? So coming out of the trade deadline, it's like, okay, everybody relaxes coming out of the trade deadline. It's like, wait a second. We got 20 games to play here. Yeah. Season's not over. Like, you know, everybody concedes, okay, who had a great trade deadline? Well, Boston did. Well, just give them the Stanley Cup. No, no, no. We got a whole bunch of hockey to play. And not only are the teams that made significant moves at the trade deadline going to be factors here, but every other team is going to be. And the other night, I was in Chicago on Monday night. I lose track of my days here. Monday night, I was in Chicago. In Chicago, a young team, and, you, you know, I'm looking at, okay, where did he come from? When did he get here? Who is that wearing that number? Yeah. And, and they said, no, wait a second, we're going to have something to say. And that same night, San Jose wins, and, and the Canucks win. And so <laughs> there's a lot of hockey left to play, and the emotional swings you're talking about, Matt, are exactly what you, you try and prepare a team for to know what's going to happen in the playoffs. The fan bases will never figure it out, trust me. But the players are supposed to at a certain time. Julie, were you impressed to see that game by Matthews yesterday, knowing that it was a game without two of the other top center icemen and O'Reilly and Tavares, and it was in that it was him that ended up being scoring the game deciding goal? It's actually what I expect. I expect that from that player. I mean, he's such a special talent and and just such a terrific player that that's what we fully expect. And and I think actually Jeff called it before the game started. He looked. He looked for, you know, internally in our conversations, he said, look, Matthew's got to be great tonight. I mean, flat out, he's got to be great. And, you know, you're missing two other, not only two other significant players, but two other players who play his position in John Tavares and, and Ryan O'Reilly. And so elevate. And even through the first, the first period, at one point, the shots were, well, the shots were 16-2 to two at one point. I think they ended up 15-4 to four at the end of the first period. So I don't know where the other shot went for Jersey, but... Um, Matthews had the chances early. He had a really good pass to Kerfoot early, and he had two of the chances. I think one was credited with a shot in that. But he was on his game early, and it doesn't show in terms of offense early for the least, but it looked like he was on it and together. You know, as much as his numbers aren't what they were last year in terms of goal scoring, I don't worry about Austin Matthews being there at a critical moment, and the fact that he elevates when two key line mates or teammates are out doesn't surprise me at all. Bully, can you help me understand the treatment that Michael Bunting has been getting lately? Um, we've we've seen him be demoted to the fourth line and Kerfoot get the elevated minutes on the top line. Is this more of Sheldon Keefe trying to get Kerfoot's confidence back up so that he can feel better about himself playing in a bottom six role when push comes to shove playoff time? Or is this him actually trying to send a message to Michael Bunting saying, hey, you've had a great year, but you're getting too comfortable. We need more from you, and this is how you got to show me you can get it back? I think it's the latter. I, I think this is more about Bunting. And the curse that Alex Kerfoot has is that he's versatile and can backfill on what you want to do. And so if you want to say, okay, I want to move – player A and player B, well, player C is Kerfoot. Well, we can put Kerfoot in there (laughs) because I want to get A and B going or I want to change the role of A and B. It almost seems like, though, that Alex Kerfoot has the Ilya Mikheyev touch where he gets so many chances, but he just can't score. (laughs) Well, he's not a top two-line player from offensive finish. He's simply not. 
Um, but because he skates well and can play up there, you cast him in that role. But realistically, you know, I think his best role is in the lower six of the lineup. I just do. I mean, I think he's most effective there. You know, on the defensive side of things, not expecting offense from him. Michael Bunting is the interesting one for me because he has to be effective in the role that he plays to be Michael Bunting. And there's a reason he didn't play in the National Hockey League till he was 26 years old, and that's because consistently he couldn't drive up the fire and the emotion that's necessary for him to be effective. Now, maybe it was coming to Toronto. Maybe it's hard to do in Arizona. And think about it. He comes home to his hometown, and in order to get an opportunity, he had to do that. Nobody knew him here other than Kyle Dubas from his junior days. And Kyle Dubas had obviously seen him do that and be effective. So he starts off, and then he gets golden role. I mean, think about the, the role he's cast into from a guy who's, I believe he had played 26 NHL games when he arrived here. And all of a sudden, he's skating alongside Matthews and Marner and takes full advantage of it, absolutely full advantage. But he takes advantage of it in a manner that's really hard to do because to be that guy every night where you're the antagonist, that's a hard role to play, guys. That is hard. When you step on the ice and you are the antagonist and the complementary player, and everybody says, well, oh, anyone could play that role. Anyone can't play that role beside Matthews and Marner. You've got to know where to, do, to go. You've got to know as much how to stay out of the way as be there in the way. Um, you are literally a complimentary player to two superstars. But your agitating and your abrasive side has to be there for you to be effective, to go to the front of the net, to take cross checks, to go and do the dirty work in the corner, to do all those things. And quite frankly, to do the chirping and to get under other people's skin and to be – and that – detracts attention from the two stars. It pulls it away from them. Now, sometimes to their detriment, they have to get involved because he's involved. But I think he got away a little bit from doing that. And they know in order to be an effective playoff team, he's going to have to play in that top six with those two guys. And they're trying to get him back to that right now, Carlo. I think that's what it is. I don't think this has anything to do with Alex Kerfoot. I just don't because Kerfoot, unfortunately for him, is just a guy that once you make your decision, about what's going to happen, you say, your, your last line is, okay, well, we can put Kerfoot in there. Well, we can put him at third-line center. We can put him at fourth-line left wing. Or we can put him at second-line right wing because he can skate and he can do those things. But I don't think if you're going into it and you're laying out this roster when everyone is healthy, I don't think Alex Kerfoot's a top-six guy. I think Michael no. Bunting has to be. And I'm not saying he's a top-six guy. I just We've seen so much emphasis on the moves the Maple Leafs have made around their bottom six, right? And clearly Kerfoot's going to be a bottom six guy. I just wonder that, you know, you hear Sheldon Keefe's comments saying Kerfoot's playing better than Bunting right now. I wonder if Sheldon Keefe's saying, okay, I have 20 games left here to get Kerfoot feeling better about himself so that when he is playing in the bottom six, maybe he can find a way to score a big goal for us because I've given him the confidence to play with good players, get a scoring touchback, so on and so forth. That's why I, I suggested that because other than that, it doesn't make any sense to me why he's playing on the top line. Yeah, no, he's playing on the top line because that role has to be filled right now, and he's capable of filling it for a short period of time. I don't think that's. I don't think it's about his confidence. I really don't, because I don't think you're going to change that about Alex Kerfoot. I think Alex Kerfoot, we know what he is as a player, and he'll go in and out of that himself. And I do believe he'll be a bottom six guy and an effective one in a playoff role. But he fills the bill right now. They've got a couple of key injuries. 
and you can put him there and he can skate. And even the opportunities he had last night, his opportunities, his effectiveness is going to be more first man on the forecheck, creating a turnover, not the guy that's making the play or finishing the play. It's just not. Dave, always appreciate. Enjoy your coffee. Enjoy the blue skies. We will chat with you soon. All the best, my friend. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You too, pal. Take care. That is NHL analyst on TSN, Dave Poolin. This has been Leafs Breakfast. Uh, Carlo, on the other side, what do the Ravens know that we don't? And I'll tell you why 100% certainty. The one place Aaron Rodgers is not going is the Green Bay Packers. That's Carlo. Interesting. I'm Yes. It's a little tease. This is First Up right here on TSN 1050.